three, two, one, sync. Welcome back to another edition of the Para Podcast. This week in the host chair is Forty. Woo! I'm back, boys. And joined by Ham. Yep. And your fearless leader, Hamish, returning. Murata is no longer at centre, uh, so I can return. As was prophesied, so has he come back. <laughs> Down from the uh, the mountaintops with uh, some clay tablets, which have a bit of a, a fuck politis <laughs> and a, a fuck... Uh... <laughs> um, but yeah, 40, I'll let you take this one away. Cheers. It is really good to have Hamish back, so let's get right into it, starting with our NRL review. Round 9, the Parramatta Eels hosting the Sydney Roosters, the Eels prevailing 31-18. to Try scorers for the Roosters was a Matt Ikevalu hat-trick with Sam Walker and Adam Kieran adding a goal apiece, Adam Kieran also adding a penalty goal just on halftime. Uh, for the Parramatta Eels, it was Blake Ferguson opening scoring, followed by a quick-fire Bryce Cartwright double with Tom Opicich and Dylan Brown rounding out the try scorers. Mitch Moses perfect from the kicking tee, five from five, adding that disrespectful field goal at the end, which really wasn't disrespectful, took the game, the game out the three scores. Whew, that was good. So let's get into the team stats quickly because the Eels dominated this one. Uh, 64% possession to the Bloom Gold, followed by 34-20 in time of possession over the Roosters, 19-19. Uh, I think that might be a season high for completion rates for the Eels, 88%, 42 or 48, ahead in pretty much every key attacking category, except line breaks, which they split at three apiece with the tricolors. Uh, once again, average play the ball speed well below for the Eels, or well slower for the Eels, 3.72 to the Roosters, 3.28, but as we always joke about, it seems to be a key indicator for victory for Parramatta. Um, beyond that, Eels ahead in offloading uh, receipts, total passes, dummy half passes, uh, equal on kick the fusel, slightly better ahead defensively, and uh, interestingly, we're ahead in negative errors. Errors were 8 for Parramatta, 16 for the Roosters. Uh, four uh, penalties conceded to Roosters, 5. And then it was uh, one ruck infringement to the Roosters, 6, which we'll talk about later because that was one of the controversial talking points uh, in terms of the uh, tip sheet given to the refs this week. But, boys, how did you see this one? Let's start with Hamish. It'll be good to get his opinion on the Eels securing outright second with this win. Um, yeah, well, I think if you look back at that, uh, the last couple of encounters, I know we only play the Roosters one one time a year, um, but I guess it's nice to get another monkey off our back in respect of uh, a team that's, you know, been in the last five years dominant. Um, you know, they got the two-peat and um, they've always been in a prelim in those last five years. So uh, whilst we know that they were definitely down on troops and, you know, they, they, they copped a head injury, what, five minutes in, um, yeah, I thought it was good to get away with a win. Um, at times it was frustrating, um, but I think that's a result of playing these higher teams is that the, there's more leeway in respect of uh, a shorter 10 metre, especially on the line. Um, and, you know, th- in that first half, I thought uh, we were unlucky not to get a Roosters player sin bin. There was a lot of cynical penalties, uh, you know, uh, at the beginning of, of um, sets that were giving away those six agains. Um, but, you know, it's a discretion of the referee. Uh, at the end of the day, I guess the the Murata shoulder, yes, two weeks probably warranted, even though it's in those circumstances where Tedesco's been tackled and he's falling. And I didn't think there was any malice in what uh, what Murata was doing. He seemed to be turning his body to brace for impact, as opposed to you know coming forward and locking a locking an arm and tucking a shoulder. Um, and then the Dillbags one sliding in with the knees. It's not a good look. Um, I again, I don't think there was any malice in it. And um, when did we become the villains? Oh, baby, we've got full heel turn. Sorry to use <laughs> professional wrestling uh, jargon there, but we have become the bad boys. It's uh, It's been an interesting turn, hasn't it? Because like Cam said, wrestling jargon included, 
a full-on heel turn. We are the bad guys now. Because um, we were like the white meat baby face that yeah. you know, people didn't really care about. And then all of a sudden, I'd say since Madison joined us, Probably. it's just slowly been progressing. That um, Perhaps even since know. Moses joined us. Yeah, a little bit. I, don't know, I think the 2018 wooden spoon, people are like, oh, they're, they're nothing again. And then since Maddo joined us, then we've just been like, it's like top four. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, right? No one really cared about him while he was a cheap little baby face, but he becomes a heel and all of a sudden he's the hottest thing in the you know the world. So Paramount are doing something right for his heel turn, it looks like. Absolutely we are, because we're winning. <laughs> yeah, um, but also added to that, I, I thought Moses dictated things well. Gutherson's been really good. Uh, Sivo obviously has been pretty good on that left wing. Um, the the ball running. Um, oh, God, I'm just trying to remember back to the game. It was so long ago last Friday, wasn't it? It was a while ago, especially considering some of the happenings since. It's been a bit of a, a frenzied start to the week. Uh, but I thought, yeah. Uh, June, sorry. June's yeah, and June, Reg, uh, they were really fantastic. Front row was very good, followed by Oregon 2 off the bench. Um, that whole trio of props now was just so far ahead of so many other prop rotations in the competition. They I'd really- even argue I'd put Lane in that. Not quite... Uh, the numbers that Reg and Junior and Oggy put out. But for his first official stint in the middle, in the air blue and gold, I thought he did very well. He, he had a tremendous game, filling in for Nathan Brown, who was a technically a late withdrawal, but evidently was a planned rest throughout the entirety of the week, approaching round nine. Uh, Lane stepped into that starting lock roll, and it was his best game of the season by some margin. And the Roosters really struggled to contain him through the middle. He was often carrying multiple defenders, trying to free up that arm. And most importantly, there was no loose moments or sort of lapses of concentration leading to soft areas. He just played good, strong football. I was just going to say, I think that's his best role um, coming into the team now that you've got, uh, um, obviously, Ryan Madison returned with his he- his head head knocks and whatever else, but Papa Lee has just established himself. And it's sort of one of those things where you're like, Papa Lee had so much off the bench, but you just need him out there for extended minutes, even if it, it's close to 80 minutes. Um, and and I think he just makes that edge. He just locks it down, and, and he's such a threat the whole game. But moving Lane to that sort of uh, that middle role, and I think his his game is 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 certainly adapted to that, where he can he can take a couple of runs. He's got that ball playing ability, and if we're only going to get twenty, uh, well, I'd say we'll probably get about thirty forty minutes out of him off the bench. Um, I think that's definitely his best role. It's crazy that we came into twenty twenty one, and I had legitimate concerns about our edge depth. Yeah, you know, out wide in the back row. And now we are so flush with guys that need more minutes, but we can't give it to them because, like you said, Papa Lee has established himself as an absolute force out in the left edge. And then on the bench, we've got Bryce Cartwright, who is in career best form and looks like he's a representative caliber player at this point in time. Well, that's the thing. You know, you look at Cardi's numbers, and while they're not the best, I think he had eight runs for 50 or so meters. It's just the impact he has on games. Like, I know that. He was in the right place at the right time for his first touch to be a try. But, you know, as pointed out for his second try, it was fantastic work by Reedy doing the little runaround you rarely see anymore. But for Cartwright to actually push past the player uh, coming up, Joseph Manu, it showed he was thinking about it as well because he could have easily sort of hung back, waited for the pass. But no, he pushed up in behind, which allowed Reedy to uh, throw that ball in behind the uh, defender there. That's one of my favourite tries of the season. That was so beautifully worked. There was obviously a called shot that identified something in the Roosters' defense they could exploit in the lead-up to this game. They executed it phenomenally. That was just gorgeous football. I think it was the Sam Walker because um, we made Nat Butcher make 65, 67 tackles. Possibly, if it, no, it would have been above because he missed six. So he would have made 70-plus tackle attempts 
which is, you know, nearly a tackle a minute. If, you know, I'm not sure if you played the whole game, but if you played 80, that's nearly a tackle a minute, which is, that's absolutely insane for doing for 80 minutes. So we obviously saw that Joey Manu had to push up to cover that um, run around to make sure that the big player wasn't getting the ball. And yeah, so I think, you know, we spoke about um, in the previous pod, who are we going to target and do we target Sam Walker? I think we definitely exploited that side um, on that play. And uh, from this game, Reed Marnie obviously picked up that early concussion, forced the Eels into a, a mad scramble to replace him. There wasn't an obvious substitute on the bench at dummy half. And instead, they sort of put together a Frankenstein monster of uh, Dylan Brown, Quentin Gufferson, and Bryce Cartwright. But I thought the Eels handled that uh, that setback pretty well, all things considering. None of those guys recognized dummy halves by any means. But between those three being relatively serviceable from the, the base of the ruck and Mitchell Moses really taking control of the game. I thought the Eels uh, overcame their own bit of adversity because I know the Roosters didn't exactly have a clean game on their end, but for the Eels to lose money very early in the process was a pretty big setback. Yeah, I think, you know, speaking positively here, I think the move to the middle in attack helped Dylan a little bit. We saw with that um, offload that he scored off um, against the broken line there, he was able to use his, um, the way he straightens the attack and then bang off the left foot was sublime. I just hope that in the future... Um, that little stint, that 60-minute or whatever it was stint, um, allows him and allows BA to give him the top, give him the option to roam around in the middle looking for those offloads. Because if you get Dylan Brown on a broken de- uh, defensive line, you know, that could happen. And he burned Teddy as well. It wasn't just... Yeah, he gave him, um, gave him no chance to the try line. Yeah, it just that was fantastic from Dylan. That was fantastic from Papali'i. Any other major talker points in this one for you, boys? Um, I just think in the fallout, like I know that the dill bags thing was was wrong and it should have been picked up at the time. But I think everybody should be a bit concerned that if Politis can ring up at half time and it gets a you know somebody put on a report after the half time break, that's that's should be concerning. Um, the second point is that that try that was taken off us in respect of uh, I think it was was it Papali'i not getting through the line or yeah. was that Oregon? Mike Casivo scoring and then Isaiah Papali'i being deemed to have impeded yeah. Sam Walker, I believe. Yeah, the problem with that is that he he moved past the initial defensive line and you can see him still moving towards the try line, but you know at that point he's through the defensive line, so it's like. Yeah, uh, uh, if it's going to be that black and white for the rest of the year, I'm happy with it. But you know, it, I think we just always have those concerns. I'm sure. About- I'm sure you could find examples from the same round where it wasn't interpreted the same way. It, it's just an absolute crapshoot, and that was obviously, honestly, an embarrassing overturn. I feel like because it was no block play involved, so no no defender was initially impeded, and and like you said, his eyes gone through the line. He's entitled to occupy the space as a support runner after that. Mike Acevo, you know, could offload back inside and he's entitled to be there to hold his spot there. So, uh, I don't know. And the, on top of that, I thought that Reg was pretty hard done by two. Went up as a try, would have been the Parramatta Eels opening try. There was nothing conclusive to suggest, suggest that he hadn't got it down, uh, including some frames where they just didn't have sight of the ball and instead it got overturned and we had to go back. So, um, on top of that, you mentioned the cynical six against Hamish and the Roosters very lucky to avoid a sim binning on, on at least one or two occasions there. And it made for, on top of all the stuff involving the Eels against the Roosters in regards to Dylan Brown, uh, and to a lesser extent, Murata, who I didn't think warranted a Simbin, but Dylan did, it painted a pretty poor report card for the referees coming out of that game. Chechen's usually a pretty good uh, a whistle holder, but in this case, he had a very ordinary game. Yeah, just on that um, Dylan thing you talk about, um, Pilates calling up Annesley at halftime. Also, idiots 
in my opinion. Freddie Fittler going on after the game, during the game, the commentators, Ennis, whoever going during the game. That then, people listen to the media. People listen to you. The comments on Dylan Brown's social media this week calling him a grub. Vitriolic. All this sort of stuff. That's from the media talking about Dylan. This is a 21-year-old kid you're talking about, and you're bullying him. Like, yes, he's a public figure, whatever, but you are giving people ammunition and you're telling these people, oh, it's okay to call this person whatever you want and it's fine. I just think that whatever people wrote, um, people will write whatever they want on social media. I understand that and they'll probably do it anyway. But it's just, it really irks me when you've got grown or supposedly grown men saying, you know, and giving people ammunition and fire to write that sort of stuff on social media. And it's just, if you want to write that on social media, get over yourself. You're, yeah. And it is worth remembering that Dylan did reach out in the fallout from that game to try and uh, apologize to Drew Hutchinson. And I believe he actually tried to visit him in hospital. Uh, He is obviously uh, regretful for what happened on the field. And I believe that Hutchinson has had no hard feelings for him, which is great sportsmanship from Hutchinson because it's a very uh, rough injury for him to sustain in a year where he's getting his most uh, NRL playing time. But yeah, the other criticism of this game was that the Parramatta Eels should have blown the Roosters off the park, which is a little bit disingenuous because the other... 13 plus win, like 13 plus points win, like yeah. Uh, It's a bit disingenuous. Two tries that were sort of, you know, as we said, were sort of like um, trying to look for the word dubious. Yeah, dubiously you know, overturned. If you put eight, possibly 12 points on there, that's a 21 25 point win against the Roosters. The Storm only beat them by 16. And I think it was 20 to four. I believe that's correct, yes. So, but, but like, yeah, anytime it, you can put 20 plus on the Roosters is amazing. It isn't to say that we couldn't have played better, but the other narrative coming to this game was how amazing the Roosters have been under intense adversity. And, you know, on the back of them absolutely thrashing the Newcastle Knights despite fielding an understrength team. And how Sam Walker has been the runaway Rookie of the Year candidate. And he has. He's been incredible. But, you know, the Roosters have been consistently punching above their weight. And, and you know, no team should take them lightly. And here the Eels, like Hamish said, get the 13-plus victory. Maybe it could have been 20-plus of those tries that were, you know, overturned. And and yet there's still question marks being asked to the Eels. So, and this is in a game where Reed Money was out for three quarters of the contest. So, I don't know. It just feels like the goalposts keep moving for the Parramatta Eels. When, in terms but, of yeah, I'm, I'm happy at that point. You know, I don't think we've done anything to assuage fears of what may happen when we get to the finals. And I think there's going to be that question mark over this side until we do get the finals. Like that's, I think when we did our pre-season preview, it's uh, the goal of this season is to get to a prelim. I think it's pretty. There's a pretty clear distinction between the top five teams and the rest of the table, and we shouldn't be, you know, jacking ourselves off that we've, you know, beat a, a couple of nupty teams. And and yes, we've we've risen to the challenge against Melbourne Storm. We've beaten the understrength Roosters, and that's all great. But I guess the test is yet to come. And and we already highlighted this at the beginning of the year. That run home, we're playing the top four teams or the the other four teams twice this season and and I think we again in our previews said we need to come into the the half season break pretty much with it with a, almost a perfect record and 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 to to date we've pretty much done that the only blip is against the dragons well that has been pretty much the maxim of the start of a season has been taking care of business and and to some extent it's also uh, to some extent also uh breaking the sort of hoodoos that have hung over us uh, got a solid win against the Dogs, our first in a number of years. Got uh, snapped a four-game losing streak against the Roosters. Uh, got our first comprehensive win in Darwin, despite dominating there in terms of wins and losses. We'd never really put a team to the sword. We did that against the Broncos. And obviously, uh, absolutely smashing the Raiders, who at that time seemed to be a good team. 
they've now since fallen apart, and I don't know how much we contributed to it, but the, the their team seems to have made reference to the game a few times. So um, we've done some good things this year, but we've got to keep on taking care of business. That's got to be the you know the sort of model, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think that's right. And like, it's it's nothing to take away, and and I'm fine. Like, I, I think we've just got to stop worrying about outside noise. And I think this team doesn't really worry about outside noise. You can see it in there. Um, press conferences and whatever else, I think they're quite confident in their own abilities and in their teammates. Uh, the teammates are confident in each other, rather. Um, you know, everybody that's came in has done a job. You know, Bryce Cartwright, he was a bit shaky probably the first two weeks, and then since then he's thrived, and he, like it was against, you know, the Bulldogs and the Broncos, but <laughs> he was fantastic in both of those games. And if he can build, you know, on that confidence of those performances, uh, he's going to do well for the rest of the season. Um, and, and I think we've seen Reed Marnie take up his game to another level. The composure of Mitch Moses again this season. I think you know we made some excuses for him last year, the calf tear twice. Um, but this year, I thought he's been really methodical, and 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 he's built his game. It's that pressure. It's that kicking to a corner. It's that you know not taking the easy option out. You know uh, you've hardly seen unless we're up by thirty points a chip kick to himself at the halfway line. Um, but I, I think those performances, and it's probably the key difference from last year, is against those teams which we should beat, we are beating them and beating them well, whereas last year is a bit of a grind. Um, so I guess that's one positive we can take out of this. But again, at the end of the day, the season's going to come down to how we go in the finals because at this point, I think those top five teams uh, are almost guaranteed of a final spot and then the rest are playing for you know the last three spots in that top eight. Mm-hmm. Any uh, closing comments before we move on for this one, boys? Oh, well done. Well done. Hamish? Just oh, hopefully, Hamish. We can, hopefully we can just limit uh, injuries and suspensions moving forward. Yeah. But I, I think that the injury list is looking a lot better this week with just Will Smith, I think, on it. So uh, maybe limit the suspensions going forward. Ham, anything uh, for you, Matt? Fuck the roosters, go the eels. <laughs> one thing I did want to give a, a quick shout-out to was the impeccable music taste of Tom Opicic. Uh, it was awesome hearing Fortunate Son from by Creed and Clearwater Revival blaring out at Bank West. So well done, young man. Uh, hopefully we can hear a few more of those this year. Uh, and on top of that, uh, the win in conjunction with the Melbourne Storm absolutely ass blast in the South Sydney Rabbitohs on Thursday night means the Eels secure outright second place on the ladder. Uh, they are now just one win behind the Panthers, one win ahead of the Storm and, and Roosters, and have a nice little two-game buffer over, sorry, Storm and Rabbitohs, and have a nice two-game buffer over the Roosters. So some big movers and shakers now in the top five or six there. And yeah, it sets Eels up nicely heading into Magic Round. Uh, in terms of the other results on the weekend, all the junior rep action has finished up, which means there's only the two other senior grades in flag and cup. And we'll jump over to the jersey flag, which happened on Saturday. The uh, one negative result for the Eels in round nine. Uh, Eels falling to the Roosters 28-20. to 20. Uh, For the Roosters, Viola Tamadi, Michael Lyons, Vawati Karawalevu, Michael Coleman and Jordan Swan, the try scorers. Corey Fenning going three from five for try conversions, also adding a penalty goal. Uh, for the Eels, Matthew Komalafi, Oliver Clements, Atasi James, and Jaden Yates were the try scorers. Kyle Schneider going two from four. Uh, Komalafi also got Sinbin late in the game for holding down on a line break. Ham, you were out there with me. I was actually calling this game on the TCT live stream. This was the quintessential game of two halves, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I thought we started really well with um, both Tarsi and Dave Hollis up the middle. They were fantastic, I thought. Um, just making meters. Davey was doing a little bit of ball playing. Um, and that's when we looked right on top. I think we raced out to a bit of a lead um, early on, and it was basically through the work of those two, I thought. Um, and then, yeah, the second half come, and the Roosters just took it up a notch, um, and we couldn't keep um, 
we couldn't keep pace with them. Yeah, I thought that the uh, Roosters didn't have an answer for Tarsi James in the first half. He was just immense, just bounce, yeah, bouncing huge. through tackles, offloading, making line breaks, uh, working hard in defense too. And then he was probably left a little bit on left on the bench for a little bit too long in the second half. The Roosters had sort of seized momentum, and by the time he got back on, the Eels were chasing points. Uh, but it was just a case of really bad execution in the second half for the most part from the Eels. Uh, they they earned the right to ball play in the first half by punching up the guts. In the second half, they were just playing sideways and and not even backing up on basic offloads too. It was just a real breakdown of fundamental football there. Uh, the Roosters, to their credit, had a really nice right edge going. Um, that uh, winger, sorry. Uh, the Fijian winger. Yeah, the Fijian winger, uh, Vuati uh, Karolevu, was sensational. Got some real wheels on him, made a couple of sensational line breaks, one off a kick return in the first half, and then was just so so difficult for us to handle throughout the course of the game. They consistently went to him because they knew he was getting great matchups, and that's good football. But yeah, uh, frustrating loss. Uh, I think the Eels still finished around in six uh, at the end of that after entering the round in six, so it wasn't too much damage done in terms of ladder positioning, but they are falling away from the, the top two or three ranked teams in that competition now who have got a, a pretty solid lead over them. Uh, I'm just trying to think of anything else that came out of this one, mate. There was a, and, and to be um, fair, I thought the positive was uh, good to see Sam Louisu and Matthew Komalafi back yeah, in the team. And that, that's what I was going to get to, is that both teams had significant reshuffles before kickoff. Uh, like I said, the TCT... Uh, broadcast, which featured myself in the 60s, had sort of prepped for the team list. You know, you, you go through and you practice your spine players and the props and try and get all the, the names in place, which isn't an issue for the Parramatta players, but for the Roosters it is, given that we're not following them. And then you get the team sheet, and there's about half a dozen changes on either side. You're like, oh, my goodness. So we had uh, Charbel Tassipali drop back from reserve grade. He only played a few minutes on Friday night. And like you said, Ham, Matthew Komalafi and Samuel Lozu back in the mix. And then we also had another debutant in uh, Luke Bain, it was very impressive, actually. I really liked the work he did off the bench, and I think uh, I don't think they've got stats for the for the cup for the flag, sorry, but he would have gotten through a lot of work. Yeah, I was surprised how many minutes he got. Um, if it's the same Luke Bain, I believe we've brought him over from the South Sydney. Correct. Rebels that's why. That's why I thought it was from yeah. And uh, born in the United States of America, so uh, venturing out. There you go. So the international eels right there. But yeah, disappointing result, and it means that the Eels uh, missed a chance to go three in a row, but they're still playing some good football, and with uh, more and more ball players starting to reinforce that lineup, along with the likes of Shabal Tassapali and Komalafi and Loizu, they're probably going to be in better shape moving forwards as the season starts the round towards the uh, the second half of it. Yeah, for sure. I think um, if they can, they've just got to match what the first grade do. Um, they've got a very strong middle, um, particularly if Tarsi James and David Hollis stay down there. Then you bring off the bench, you've got... Uh, the double hyphen, JJBM, um, Jack Colavardi's doing well. So, yeah, just, you know, hit up through the middle, gets your kick, good kick chase, and they'll win a lot more games than they lose. Exactly. Now, back to Friday and the curtain raiser to the NRL. Uh, once again, Sixers and myself were able to call this one on a live stream, which was really cool, uh, up in the Eels media box. So that one was a very fun experience. But uh, the Eels, ahead of a... A missive that came out which caused some controversy <laughs> for uh, round 10, which we'll get to. But uh, players pulling out for the Bears in the lead-up to this game. But the Parramatta Eels, 39 over the North Sydney Bears at 5.25pm at Bank West. Uh, this was a very fun game to watch. For the Eels, Michael Oldfield started the scoring in the 21st minute, followed by Hayes Perham. Sean Russell nabbed a double with Lavatoa Mata'afa, Ellie Elsgaham and Kai Rodwell also scoring. Uh, Jordan Rankin was sold off a tee, 5 from 7. Jacob Alpha added a field goal at the death. Uh, this was a good game, uh, regardless of who they were taking on. The Eels played very strong fundamental football, held out the Bears for the first 20 minutes, and then took the game away from them, boys. Um, yeah, I think the most pleasing thing about uh, the game was we kept them to nil. 
Uh, sure, you can score a lot of points against uh, probably what was essentially a uh, Ron Massey Cup team, um, but the fact we kept them to nil uh, shows how strong we are defensively and the systems that we have in place. Um, yeah, not really. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of, it's bittersweet because um, 39 nil is very good, and we had a lot of good plays and everything. But when you consider the level of the opposition, it's sort of like, well, you know, you're doing what was asked of you, considering your opposition, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I know you mentioned it on the tip sheet, but that hit and spin from Kai Rodwell. I'm a huge fan of the hit and spin. Um, Nathan Callis used to do it very well. Hit and spin into an offload or a pass. Or a try in this case for Kai. Yeah, yeah or over. a try. So. He's been on, um, 60s obviously talked about it on the tip sheet for those that listen to it, but Rodwell was a, a early season, like not even pre-season, I think, acquisition. Um, and he's really taken like a duck to water to the uh, Eels system has been playing um, mostly starting but also off the bench, but locked forward and, and been really good for us. Another new recruit, Kurt Dillon, I believe, uh, was huge. 18 runs, 197 metres. Uh, Makazi Makatoa, always consistent for the Eels. Outstanding again. In this case, 19 runs for 199 metres. But it's, it's hard to pick a player that didn't have a good game. You know, Wiram McGregor, 126 metres off 14 carries. Uh, Ellie Elskaham is very strong down that right edge. Ray Stone came back from injury for a great game. Um, all the outside backs got past 100 except for Sean Russell, who still scored two tries. So it's hard to find. I Johnny Guarantee. He was having some that, that, fantastic When, when I saw the numbers, time. I was stunned because that was a, a point that 60s and I was ra- 60s and myself raised in the broadcast was he's doing so many tough carries and getting good post-contact meters, and yet the numbers only have him down for 90. That was really surprising. Yeah, I think they've got something wrong there. But um, Will Penasini continues um, that trajectory to first grade. Again, another 150-plus yeah. well, game from him. Um, didn't think, or oh, he did nothing wrong defensively from what I could tell. Um, another winger on his outside, usually having Hayes Dunster there, a little bit of um, experience there, but Lalatoa Mata'afa didn't look out of place. Yeah, had a really good first start for, for the Eels. Been on the benches at utility back for the last couple of weeks, um, but with uh, Hayes Dunster in the NRL team this week, he got a chance to play and score a try and also defuse some nice kicks there. So good to see some depth there for the Eels in the Reggies team. Uh, I was trying to think... Hayes Perham as well. I want to give a shout out to him because he's had a rough few weeks at fullback. He's really struggled on the high ball in his first few games at Para, but on Friday night he was excellent. Uh, didn't drop a single kick as far as I can tell and chimed in really nicely in attack. So it's good to see. Um, um, one thing you do notice at the game, uh, I want to give a shout out to Jordan Rankin here because he just barks a lot of orders, tells um, players where they've got to go. I think he's a really underrated aspect of this team. I understand as a 5'8", probably not, <laughs> but... Just the work that he does off the ball, getting players into position, calling the plays. Um, I think he's really helped uh, young Jacob Arthur out there as well, who, you know, does, not to say he doesn't do that, but Rankin, you can really hear it, and it's really noticeable on the field. And on Jake, good to see him still playing at the line, set up a really nice try for Michael Oldfield by digging in deep at the line and hitting Oldfield flat. Uh, some quality involvements there, uh, and you know, we'll have more on Jake later in this podcast, as those that are listening would probably know by now. But uh, he's been having a great season in the New South Wales Cup, and you know he's continuing to grow into himself. So uh, not taking any backward steps, and that's really encouraging that he's been so consistent on a week-to-week basis. All righty. So that win keeps the Eels in fourth spot. Uh, they're now above 500 in terms of win percentages, so four wins, three losses. Got a solid four and against, or a nice four and against of 69. Uh, which makes nice. it, it's actually the third best foreign against in the competition, believe it or not. The third place Bears, who the Eels beat, now have a negative 31 foreign against. But the Panthers, 193, and the Magpies, who beat the Eels earlier in the year, 114, are significantly ahead. 
So the Eels will have to wait for further head-to-head matches on them to start chipping away at the opposition for and against. But yeah, doing really well in reserve grade. Like we keep saying, it's just a, such a fun team to watch um, given how young and experienced they are. And they're doing a really good job. So credit to Ryan Carr, credit to the full roster because they're digging in and they haven't had a single blowout loss yet, even against the Magpies and against Mounties where they had the points put on them and had a chance to be rolled over on. They've managed to dig the hills in and make a contest out of it. And that is the end of the reviews. Uh, let's jump across the NRL news now. There's a few important points for the Eels. Hamish already mentioned, but Will Smith is the uh, sole Eel on the injury report. He's still recovering from that broken thumb. Uh, scheduled for rounds 13 or 14 on his return, so still about another month away, which is unfortunate. But it does open up that spot on the bench, which has seen you know, a number of guys taking their opportunities, which is always good. Uh, big news there is the re-signing of Nathan Brown. It was speculated on Friday heading into the game and then confirmed today, uh, but Nathan Brown has re-signed on a two-year deal with the Parramatta Eels. Uh, there is no talk about numbers officially, but it was speculated the Eels had put together a reduced offer from the 600000 per a year that was offered to him uh, earlier. So I think that's a pretty fair rate for a, a player as impactful as Nathan Brown, boys. Well, to his managers, congratulations, you played yourself. Yeah, there's a bit of that. The, the market for Brownie was obviously far colder than they expected. There was some talk about St. George who quickly said, nope, uh, that's media talk or manager talk, and then Manly were linked to him before pulling out, so it only left the Parramatta Eels. And I'm actually surprised it only left the Parramatta Eels. Teams like Brisbane could very much use a Nathan Brown, but evidently they weren't interested or had to spend their money on players like a Tony Staggs. Well, I think they've got too much money already tied up in their forwards. True, but they are trying. They are trying to get rid of Matt Lodge, apparently. So, <laughs> just- Brownie's like, yeah, he's, he fits that mold of the the new style. Like, maybe he's a little bit bigger than, I guess, like a Tyrone Peachy or um the the one at Newcastle. What's his name? Um, Connor Watson. Connor Watson, in yeah. respect of that, like that really smaller, like essentially, like almost a number, a, a mix of a nine slash six. Um, that seems to be the the new lock. Um, so. Um, he's probably a, a slightly bigger, but he's got a massive engine and, and you know, tackle his ass off and and, um, and he's pretty good at ball playing. But I'd expect um, Nathan Brown, like I, I know he was out uh, due to that raised knee, uh, which again, which didn't cop as much scrutiny, uh, scrutiny as, yeah. um, as as other incidents. It, it is amazing uh, what media narrative and, and who you do, like who someone does something to matters. It's like the whole idea that... For. Yeah, it's like the whole idea that Parramatta has had a soft draw to start 2021, when the reality is we've got the third hardest draw across the comp. We've played five top eight teams coming into each of the rounds. So, yeah, uh, frustrating. But just on that, I was just going to say, so just back on Nathan Brown. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think we need uh, as big a minutes out of him as we have used him in the past, like 80-minute performances, especially when you've got players like the gun uh, playing really high rate. You've got another ball player in, in respect of... Um, Cardi Party, and then you've also got Sean Lane that can fill in that middle role as well. And that's not to also mention Murata Niakore when he uh, comes. Well, depending on on how Wanga Blake goes, uh, he, he may come back as that impact bench middle as well. So uh, th- that's going to look like a provided Wanga Blake can um, step up to the plate when we get our full team back. That that bench of I think I just put the four there. What is it? Cardi Party, Oregon Kafusi. Rather near Corey and Sean Lane, that that's one of the better benches I think in the comp. Yeah, I think the actual have to find a spot for Will Smith there. <laughs> the, the competition for spots is ridiculous; it is insane. Uh, so yeah, good news for the Eels. It keeps together. It still means I don't think we've had a significant squad loss for a number of years now in terms of players we want to keep. I think the biggest one's been Stefano, who the Eels did want to keep, but obviously he took on a very lucrative deal at the West Tigers. 
Stefano, um, has he been kicked off? He's the, been, he's been dropped. Work? He's been dropped this yeah. week, yeah. Uh, so who knows what's going on at Tiger Town? There's talk about Michael Maguire trying to sabotage himself. I, I have no idea. He's been dropped like an Adam Dewey bomb. Well, Adam Dewey shifted yeah, from 5 8 to the Dewey centers. to the centre, yeah. to an M by to six. Like, frig, <laughs> is this Bulldog circa 2014? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, Further to the injury report, I suppose we already mentioned it, but uh, Dylan Brown charged initially for four week suspension, took the early guilty plea and getting free for his dangerous contact on uh, Drew Hutchinson. Likewise, Maradani Akore for a high shot or dangerous contact and James Desco was charged with a base three week uh, hospital, hospital holiday uh, with the early guilty plea getting two weeks. Eels are not contesting either charge, uh, which means we got a little bit of a wait for, uh, for Murata and then one more week for Dylan after that. So the Eels have to hold the gap for the time being. And then in good news, we've got some uh, junior rep honours coming out now. Uh, no state versus state this year. No New South Wales versus Queensland state of origin. Instead, we're getting a New South Wales city versus country set up. I'm not particularly sure why. I suppose because of the bubble, like the Queensland COVID protocols. It hasn't really been made clear. But there's uh, a number of rep squads that the Eels have players selected for. Uh, and it's not in the same format as the uh, mats and ball in terms of age groups. Just make it that much more confusing. Obviously, Matt's in ball this year, 17s and 19s, but the rep squads are 16s and 18s in the boys, but under 19s in the girls. So go figure. But uh, for the under 16s, the Eels have three players selected as well as the coach. So Tyrese Lakenny, Blaze Talungi, and Sam Tuavadi are all picked in that team. Uh, Stephen O'Day is the coach, and he coached the Paramaterials Harold Matthews squad to the grand final. Uh, in the under 18s, you have Jabril Kalachi, Ethan Sanders, Larry Mwaga Tutia, Jock Brazel, and Miles Martin. There's a mouthful of a lot of players there. And then congratulations to the girls from Natasha Gale, the two front rowers who have been uh, the standout players across the entire season, Ruby John Kennard and Lasalio Cita Payne, earning selection in the City Under-19s. So very good work there. Ryan Walker, the assistant coach in that team as well. Uh, and I think Blake Roliski, sorry Blake, but Roliski uh, as a trainer in the 16s and 19s ladies team. And then uh, Neil Duncan, Greg May, uh, trainers in the uh, boys 18s team. So some great uh, picks there. And the surprising thing, Ham, even though we follow the the comp, we knew that Blaze Talungi was a year young, but uh, Tyrese Lekenny, who saw minimal game time, uh, not a surprise, but big Sam Tuovati. How is he a year young? Goodness. If he's a year young, watch out next year in the Harold Matthews. I'm telling you. A dominant presence in the front row for the Eels in the Harold Matthews. Huge engine, quality carries, good defense, some nice offloading. He's just a good all-round prop for the, the, the age group. And he's a year young. I had no idea. Because he, he really impressed me this year. That's It's insane. Um, um, I just want to mention that um, the teams have been named. So Big Sam is starting uh, prop and Blaze Talungi is starting 5-8. So um, New South Wales Rugby League will be um, broadcasting these games. So look nice. out there. And um, it's pretty funny. I know it's a city, city and it's based on the city competitions. But uh, Miles Martin, who's actually the 18th man for the city under-18s, comes from uh, Bathurst. So... A bit of a weird one there. And so Jock Brazel actually comes from Moree. Correct. So two country boys in the city <laughs> In the city teams. teams. And uh, speaking of Miles, uh, both he and Ethan Sanders a year young in the under-18s team, obviously playing SG, uh, Harold Matthews this year. So well done to those two. They've got another year of eligibility. Uh, uh, so same with Larry Mugatatia. Yeah, sorry, Larry too. So. And Jabril Kalachi too. There you go. So He's also a year young. And they've, um, I know Jabril's been playing Jersey Flags. Uh, Larry's been named 18th man. So yeah, these very young blokes are getting the uh, the rocket in terms of development, aren't they? The Eels really giving them a chance to prove themselves in some uh, difficult conditions, and for the most part, these young guys really are. 
Uh, it's obviously a good uh, development class in terms of talent, and they're really stepping up to the plate. Uh, the responsibilities in Jersey League have been no joke for these guys. There's been five or six ball players been playing consistent football there, so it's good to see them taking that step. All righty. So that is all the NRL news, I think, boys. Is there anything I'm missing this week? I mean, there was the mandate from the NRL about cynical six agains and contact at the head. That yeah, but that's out the window. As soon as they put it out, it was out the window. There was the other thing in respect of the bubble. um, Oh, correct. Level three protocols for the Sydney teams, which will be relaxed as soon as they arrive in Brisbane, which divert back to level one, uh, which means the Eels, uh, I suppose that it's probably news we should talk about there. The, uh, in light of that uh, New South Wales Cup game where they didn't withdraw their players, the NRL deemed that the Eels will not have any uh, restrictions on player selection. They are free to pick anyone from their top 30 and beyond uh, for the team list Tuesday 21. But those who were picked who were outside of the uh, bubble, i.e. the people that played against the Roosters plus Nathan Brown and Wonga Blake, will not be eligible to train for the Eels until they arrive in Brisbane. And the, the humorous thing is that the exact wording of the missive from the NRL means that if the Eels were to fly up to Brisbane tomorrow, uh, they'd have access to their entire uh, 21 because as soon as they arrive in Brisbane the bubble is over so that I don't believe that's their plan but it is amusing that the way they've worded it opens up such a loophole yeah, yeah it's a bit of mountains out of Mulse Hills wasn't it in yeah. respect of the like yeah sure every other club and you know there was a mandate but it wasn't exactly it, well, it wasn't it wasn't rule, rules are meant to be just, broken baby rules are meant to be broken the, the problem is that the NRL walked it back to is that they didn't mandate it they suggested it and the, the governing body shouldn't be half-hearting things. They either tell you you're doing it or you're not doing it. And I think that's why they didn't come down the eels as hard as they could have. Um, another thing I want to point you know, I've seen people online say, oh, but they won't be able to train. The players have been trained together since December or late November, whenever it was. Missing one week of training is not going to do anything. It, it'd just be running a few shapes. They won't be missing much. So just missing out on one week, it actually probably be better for them because they're resting up their body before uh, playing a game. So, yeah, I'm not, you know... Personally, I'm not concerned about missing training for a week. We'll find a way. We'll, we'll be okay. Well, if, you know, with our new complex, first grade could train on the left side field, reserve grade players could train on the right side field. So <laughs> that's true. Uh, but yeah, I think that wraps up the NRL news. I mean, in, in terms of general news, there's been talk about Adam Reynolds, the Broncos. Uh, I don't think he's going, I think he's going south. You think he's going to well, the Let's Shire? just not bother getting into any of that rubbish. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> That's true. Isn't it nice to be in like a position where your team's playing so well that you can just sort of discount all this extra rubbish? Like, to be honest, I I don't know. I've been busy with work and stuff, but it's like so much of the rugby league news, you can just completely switch off it. Yeah. It's like Pleb's beneath you, right? Because he was going so well. Uh, And, you know, on and off the field, there's been, you know, smooth operations in terms of player retentions. Obviously, our focus is now on retaining Mitchell Moses and Ryan Madison, but uh, there's been positive overtures on both accounts there, I believe. So, yeah, like I said, if things are taking care of themselves, you can just sort of sit back and say, yeah, all right, let's just go watch some football on the weekend. But isn't that the great thing, even about the Nathan Brown signing, is like, you know, it was put on us that we're frigging incompetent and negligent and we're allowing Manly to sneak under the radar and the Dragons are coming in. And, like, if you just left that alone for a month, Nathan Brown signed, it's on a reduced contract. There you go. It just fell in the place perfectly. <laughs> and like, I'm now confident in our uh, recruitment and retention team. You look at the recruitment we've done past two years, it's going pretty well. The retention has done fantastically. So they must yeah, well, be doing something right. They must be going through their process. You know, trust hashtag trust the process. They're clearly finding market inefficiencies to exploit. You look at the recruitment class of 2021 and Tom Opacic, Bryce Cartwright, and Zaya Papali'i, on top of like guys like Keegan Hipgrave who have been very solid. 
what, what incredible value. Yeah, Keegan's impressed me, to be honest. Just doing the, doing the job that he needs to do, Keegan, whether it's in reserve grade or in, in first, because there's flexibility on the edge and middle. So, Is, he, is he still – he hasn't lost a game yet no, this year? No, unfortunately, he lost at, Mount, at Mounties. So ah, still, still undefeated in NRL like Ryan Madison. So he's got that going for him. But unfortunately, he's not a clean sheet or flawless record at the moment. So, uh, yeah, and I note that uh, Moose got a win as well, yeah, so that's so, a bit depressing, isn't it? But Moose is going to find out there's still meetings after wins, so he's going to be devastated about that. But <laughs> Yeah, so that does bring it into the news. Uh, in terms of previews, there was some talk about the rescheduled New South Wales uh, Rugby League grounds for Flag and Cup taking place this weekend, but there's been nothing on the website and nothing on the Eels website about team lists. So, um the games are definitely on because uh, League Unlimited tweeted them out before, and <laughs> I went to the Canberra Raiders website and they had already named Bear, bearing, in, bearing in mind, the last time this happened this year was when the Round 7 uh, Junior Rep stuff got rescheduled from the same week, and we didn't have team whist until like game day for that. So uh, logistically for the site, I imagine there's an issue of um, getting the round back up or something like that. So the I just was- think the club, rightfully so, is taking precedence on a young player debuting, the young half debuting. Well, there's nothing from New South Rugby League about any team. That's what I'm saying. But yeah. uh, for, for the Eels, yes, I've got no issues there. Usually we have a grumble about whether they've got the team list up early or not, but in this case, uh, it's fine. So uh, if or when that happens, you have to check that out uh, online. But for the time being, we'll go into our NRL preview. Which I just is- want to say, um, if you're not going up to Brisbane, get down to Ringrose Park. The New South Wales Cup game is at 230 Correct. Um, the Jersey flag, Jersey flag games at four thirty. Uh, it's always a great day down at Ringrose. Um, get out there and support the Parramatta Eels. And if it's impossible for you to get out there, knock on wood. But Sixies and myself may have a live stream or a live cast, not actual visual, but just audio of the games for you, depending on what New South Wales Rugby League are doing. Because there's no affiliated NRL games this week, I don't know what it means for the uh, TV broadcasts. Because usually it'd be for like a game that's paired up with an NRL game on Saturday and Sunday. But I'm not sure if they're going to do just pick a game at random this week, so I have to wait and see on that. But yeah, on to the NRL preview. It is round 10. It is the magic round that we all love so much. Uh, eight games out of one stadium across three days, two on Friday, three on Saturday, three on Sunday. The Eels are at the back end, which means the uh, the field's going to be absolutely torn up by the time we take to the field on 1.50 p.m. Sunday. We're taking on the Warriors. We are the away team, which means uh, we're not wasting a home game this year, which is nice. Uh, but... Up at Suncorp, like I said, kick off 1.50 p.m. For the Warriors, they look like this. Uh, Roger Tuovasa-Shek is their captain. They've got Edward Cozzi on one wing and uh, Ken Mamalo on the other. Adam Pompey and Rocco Berry in the centres. Cody Nicarima and Chanel Harris-Tavita in the halves. Jermaine Tanoa-Brown and Kane Evans are bookending Wade Egan. In the back row, you've got uh, former Eels junior Josh Curran with Ben Murdoch-Masilla and Tohu Harris at lock. Jazz Tavanga, Lisa Namau, Bunty Afoa, and Reese Walsh are on the bench. Their extended bench looks like this with Bailey Sirinan, Jack Murchie, uh, Ellie Katoa. That's a bit of a surprise. And Ewan Aiken on the bench. He must be banged up still because Katoa's been tremendous for him. And then for the Eels, a couple of changes this week, including at least one big one. Uh, Quinton Gufferson is captain and fullback as always. Mike Acevo and Blake Ferguson are on the flanks. Tom Opacic holds down the left center spot, but Wanga Blake is back this week. Wanga back from that calf injury sustained in the lead up to round two. Uh, just in time too with Murata suspended. So good reinforcements there. Mitchell Moses is the halfback and partnering this week is not Bryce Cartwright. It's uh, not Ryan Madison and it's not Jordan Rankin. It is Jacob Arthur. We're getting a rookie debutant, the coach's son, uh, which is weird that we're going to have two active coaches and son combos 
uh, in the halves in the halves in the NRL. But uh, there you go. So Jake getting a nod after a really strong start to the New South Wales Cup. We'll talk about that more shortly. In the front row, Reagan, Campbell, Gillard, Reed, Money, and Junior Polo. Back row is got one change this week. Zai Papali and Ryan Madison are on both edges as per usual, but Nathan Brown's back from that hip cork. On the bench, Oregon Kafusi, Sean Lane, who slides back to the bench after Brownie comes back. Ray Stone back from reserve grade with Bryce Cartwright in the 17. Extend the bench is Joey Lusick, Keegan Hipgrave, Hayes Dunster, and Jordan Rankin. Yeah, so a very interesting team was Tuesday. Certainly the spiciest we've had in a few weeks, boys. Yeah, yeah. in a long time, and, and um, you wouldn't expect. You know, I think we've grown pretty used to Arthur over the last... Uh, several years that uh, when he names somebody, especially in a starting um, role as a debutant, uh, he doesn't usually play Ducks and Drakes. So I, th- I think we can be pretty confident that uh, Jacob Arthur is going to get a start this year. And um, I, I sort of saw it as I was running in the door at Channel 9 News. Um, they were raising about how long, you know, Jake has been training with this first grade team. And, you know, it's pretty much since he was 12, 13. So... Um, he's definitely been around the group. He's 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 very knowledgeable. Anybody that's watched him come up through the grades will know that he's a an accomplished half. Um, and and again, all we really need out of him this week is to run the ball and maybe uh, take some kick pressure off off Moses every now and then. Yeah, Ham. How do you see that team sheet, mate? Um, well, I, I'm you know it was suggested earlier on that Jacob Arthur might be picked, and I thought, no, nah, there's no way, there's no way Brad will pick him. Not not just because it's his son or whatever. I just, you know, would have been, oh, he's only played a couple um, cup games and he's only 19. But um, I imagine it would be very hard to pick your son. Yeah. Like, just because, you, you know, you're going to get calls of nepotism. You can throw those out the door or whatever. But how do you judge, you know, having that personal tie? So I imagine he would have had to go to the players. He would have had to go to Ryan Carr as coach. You know, asked all the everybody around him, is this the right decision? And he's come up with the decision. I'm very glad he has because um, Jake's been very good playing cup. Um I, th- I think if his last name wasn't Arthur, there would be there'd be calls for him to play first grade anyway. So um, huge for Jake, huge for Parramatta, and I think it's very good that we've got a um, young local junior junior debuting in the in the halves. Which and what, know, from the Rhinos is that right? Rouse Hill Rhinos, yes, okay. sir. And while I think a, a full NRL season is beyond Jake at this point in time, that three week stint that he's likely going to have, assuming that he gets through Sunday just fine is almost ideal for his development. He gets that little taste of first grade, finds out what it's about and how tough it's going to be to live up to it on a week-to-week basis and and probably does the job for us because like we said before, we're not going to have to do too much because Mitchell Moses is going to run the show. Reed Marnie is going to be dominant dummy half and you've got Quinton Gufferson outside you who does all the finishing for a lot of the plays. So he's just going to be there to help run the show, keep deals on time and make his tackles. And that's something he can do very easily at the moment, I think. And He's someone I'm, that doesn't shirk his, uh, his defensive duty yeah, a bit exactly. like Bill Brown in that mould. Exactly. I'm glad that we have gone with the young half, you know, because I was thinking we might have gone with Jordan Rankin, but what future does Jordan Rankin have in first grade? I don't and think that's, that's any, the though. exciting thing I feel from a from a mission statement that we've seen from the Eels recently is that they're being increasingly willing to back the young option and that they're going to, you know, they're going to win their games and they're going to develop the kid. And that is very encouraging. And I think that bodes well for someone like Will Panasini down the track, that if the opportunity comes for Will, if that, if that chance comes knocking for him and his number gets called, then he's going to get the call up. So um, I'm really liking that. The Eels are backing their ability to carry a young talent instead of you know hiding, hiding them further down the track till they're you know, 110% ready. Um, and like I said, Ham, it, it's a vote of confidence in the young guys. You're not picking a player who's already peaked on their potential in Jordan Rankin, who is doing a good job at, in the for the Eels in reserve grade. This isn't a knock on Jordan, 
but yeah, you're you're simultaneously looking to win and investing in the future, which is awesome. I love it. Yeah, well, when you look at uh, Will, say if Wanga doesn't come in and do what he needs to do, you know, I think you've got Will there, who's been again very impressive in Cup there, and then you can put Murata back onto the bench. So yeah, it's just it's huge for the. I think this is a very big debut for the club. Yeah, very. I mean, I'm excited, and like you said, Ham, if it was. Uh, Jake Smith or Jake Blue or Jake Brown, uh, no one would be batting an eyelid. And uh, to be fair, the nepotism talks haven't been coming down from the rafters. People are, I think, genuinely curious to see how Jake goes on the back of having you know a really strong start to the New South Wales Cup season. Uh, but beyond Jakey Boy, what do we like about this lineup? Uh, we obviously we've got a bit of cover for Reed Money now that Ray Stone's back, which is very encouraging. Uh, the Eels had to scramble to find a solution on the fly, as we talked about in our review of round nine. Stoney, by far, from a perfect dummy health, but he's certainly more experienced than any of the other boys when it comes to passing from the ruck base. One thing I do like is that, you know, despite our or one injury now to Will Smith and two suspensions, I, it's still, to me, that's a top four team. Yeah, look you can at look at it on go, paper and, and you can just see the quality, can't you? Yeah, I'm just going, you know, I, we could even play another top four team this week and I, I'd expect us to win and put on a put on a good performance. No, yeah, I think that's the most pleasing thing is that uh, to date, players have come in and they've done a role and they've done it well. You know, whether that be Bryce Cartwright, as I think we touched on earlier, the first two games weren't so great. But then, yeah, adding Keegan Hipgrave, coming and done a job. Uh, Isaiah Papali's has come and done a job and, and, and performed well above, you know, what we expected of him in the preseason. Although I know um, TCT, they were very early in on... Uh, on uh, yeah, 60s, on, 60s was all about Papali very early in the process. So well done to him. But... Evidently, he was standing up that much that it was impossible not to back him to have a big year. So, but speaking, yeah, I think it's just one concern, and I think we've all had it because we we've hardly seen this centre wing pairing this yeah. year. Is the the right side Wonga Blake Blake Ferguson? How they're going to work that out, especially when they've got a rookie Jake Arthur um, uh, defending on that edge as well. Um, but is is Papa? No, no, Madison's on the right. Maddo's on the right. Yeah, yeah. Maddo Maddo yeah. was a rock and defence at least, so that's good. But yeah, Jake, very good defensively, but I don't think he can live up to Dylan quite because Dylan is the best defensive half in the NRL bar none. But he'll he'll still try and hold his own there. But yeah, it is an important point there, Hamish. Uh, the the Blake Bro connection there, we we aren't really sure where it's at because Murata has been so good on that right side and and has had so few issues with with uh, Blake Ferguson. It'd be very frustrating to see Wanga come back into the team and that right edge to fall apart again. So that's something to monitor for sure. Um, oh, one thing I forward to i'm actually looking forward to wanga being back because those some of those half chances we've had on the right side i think if we had a bit of a speedster there they would have been finished off and they would have been tries that's a good point because there's been a lot of doom and gloom about wanga coming back ham but it's easy to forget how smooth and natural of an athlete he is and that if you give him those half windows he often maximizes them so i am looking forward to seeing him getting a chance to attack on the eels Obviously, like to set up for their left side, but I think they've also given their right edge plenty of looks this year. So with him back, I expect him to feature a bit, which is really nice. Uh, we mentioned Desire Papali'i before. Obviously, a big revenge game for him. Let go by the Warriors, picked up by the Parramatta Eels, has since become a revelation. If the Dalliums are picked now, his edge back roll of the year almost certainly has been that good. Uh, are we expecting anything extra from... Can we get anything extra out of Papali'i? He plays so well every week that I don't know if he's got anything else left to give. Well, Man, that, that guy, he's just, he's too chill. Like, he, he's not out for revenge. He's just out there to have fun. It's true. He's always smiling. He seems to be having a blast playing the game, which is the right way to do it. And it's obviously helping him maximize his performances. Yeah, he starts out of the left edge there and then um, moves in the middle. Doesn't really lose anything, you know. He's still, you know, 160 meter game, 20 plus tackles, still throwing offloads, still throwing passes. 
ignore it all, really. I'm so glad he's with Barramatta. Those offloads are starting to come uh, thick and fast, too. He's looking real natural getting those arms free. So, yeah, a huge game for him. Uh, like I said, I don't think he's going to be you know angry, but I think he's going to be looking to make an impression. Uh, obviously, the Eels come up against a few former players, too, Kane Evans and uh, Josh Curran in particular. Curran hasn't been the club for a number of years. Uh, unfortunately, we lost him, but took on a lucrative offer at the Roosters before finding his way to the Warriors. But looking at that Warriors lineup, obviously Roger Tulvasashek, you have to respect his potential. He's one of the great players in the game, departing the Warriors and the NRL at the end of the season. But uh, who else really jumps out of that lineup? lineup as, and that, uh, that half pairing, they they have profited from the six again and the change to that yeah. small, speedy game. I think Cody Nicarima, uh, his stocks have really gone up as a as a as a running six in respect of that. And and watching Warriors games, he seems to be their spark and their danger man. Uh, also in that lineup, I think you'd have to give some respect to Ken Marmolo. He's he's very good on the wing. Um, Adam Pompey has been quite good um, in respect of its centre. And then uh, the their main man at thirteen, Tohu Harris, he's been a bit of a gun. So. Um, they've they've got quality across and uh, across the park, and, and I don't think they're a team that you should take uh, lightly. Um, especially they've they've got that ability, and it's been an innate Warriors sort of quality is that they can just score and put on tries, and, and they can play some really entertaining footy. And I know that we've had matches with them in the past. I th- I'm trying to recall it was 2012, 2013, maybe where we come up against the Warriors and they put it, they put like 40 or 50 points on us. Um, so I, I think we're a completely different team and they're a completely different team at this point. But still, they've just got that innate Warriors quality to be able to throw the ball around and to make things happen, especially around some tired forwards. And they enter this round with a, a negative win ratio, four wins, five losses, but they do hold down eighth spot on the ladder, which is probably reflective of how tough things are outside of that top five. But in saying that, I looked at their schedule and they've actually been pretty competitive throughout the entire course of the season. They've had the losses, but they haven't been bad losses. They've been right in the mix of it. And I look at that team and they've also got the bench to kind of match the Eels for a bit because uh, Jazz Tavanga is a pretty handy uh, small ball lock forward. Lisa Nama and Bunty if I'll give him a bit of grunt. And Reese Walsh is a bit of a wild card. The rookie from Brisbane started a few games from looking sharp and now they're trying to just get him into the lineup somehow now that their spine's back at full strength. Uh, they probably haven't really found a great home for him on the bench, but he can come on and wreak a little bit of havoc, so you've got to watch out for that. Well, that's and the they're thing, being you know, cl- oh, sorry. I was just going to say, like, the Warriors forward pack is absolutely huge. So coming off a big physical game against the Roosters, big forward pack there, coming into another physical game with um the Warriors forward pack, and then, as you say, Reese Walsh coming off the bench there. If the Warriors get a bit of momentum, he can, well, they're 6 seven, the one six seven and um. Uh, Reese Walsh here can do anything that they want if the forwards get a bit of momentum. Anything else? Yeah, and I was just going to say that yeah. the the last couple of clashes have been pretty close. Like uh, last year, twenty four eighteen, and and I believe there's a couple of, a number of lead changes in that match. Uh, then you remember the twenty nineteen clash? We came away twenty four twenty two winners, and and that came off the the back of a uh, <laughs> um, very very uh, suspect uh, forward pass. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? And then uh, the, the game before that, they took it away from us 24-18 in that shit 2018 year. Um, but just having a look across their season averages, you know, they're, they're looking at four line breaks a game, 11 offloads, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're only conceding nine errors to our almost 12, <laughs> which isn't great. Um, They've been very disciplined yeah. in terms of set completions. They're up there at the they top have, the and, and the only team in the the uh, since the NRL era to complete a, a match at 100% efficiency. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, and that was a couple of weeks ago. So 
you're right, they have been competitive against a lot of teams. And, you know, you think Manly are probably in that echelon next and they put on 30-something points against Manly last week and almost came away with a win. Um, but for, you know, the return of Tom Travojevic, they might have got over the line. Yeah, Tommy almost sold them, unfortunately. Um, they did rally and make it a game. But, yeah, like we said, they've been highly competitive across the entire season. So even if their record is only four and five, you've got to respect their ability to drag a team into a contest. And, you know, thankfully the Eels have been pretty good at that this year, barring that St. George game where, to be fair, I think the Dragons played their grand final. They they That was them at their full capacity, while the Eels were a little bit below par, and that's why we ended up losing that. Uh, the Eels have been able to take care of that sort of game throughout this season so far. So you'd expect the Eels to get the win here, but nothing is for granted coming off a, a tough game against the Roosters, like Cam said. And more concerning for me is playing as the the fifth or sixth game in Magic Round on a field that's going to be absolutely chopped to pieces. That worries me a little bit, I have to admit. But I think for the Eels, the other thing that might be driving them too is purging the memory of the 2019 Magic Round where the Melbourne Storm absolutely pants them, uh, 64 to 10. Uh, it, it derailed that middle part of our season massively. We end up managing to rebound to get back into the finals in the top the top four. No, we finished fifth in 2019. Uh, but we went on a, a real negative run from that point. We lost to the Panthers, and I think there was another loss in there too. Uh, Bulldogs. The Bulldogs, there you go. So uh, some bad memories there we want to exercise. And this has been a year of doing that sort of thing, of exercising bad memories. And, and You mean exercising, not exercising? Exorcising, sorry. With an no, exercising, exercising. Sorry, Mr. Law Degree. Hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm going to have to check this now because the act of... <laughs> we, the, don't, we don't say words good. <laughs> to exercise, so... No, it's E-X-C-I-S-E. So you, you, you exercise a, a, like a, an evil spirit. But you excise multiple things. Hang on, no. Great podcast. I, I feel like I feel like I'm in the right here. Like we're, we're talking like uh, we're ex- exercising. We're talking like the, the exorcist here. Yeah. Like, oh, you're right. I, I, I apologize. I okay. Apologize. Okay. No, okay. There we go. There we go. <laughs> okay. So getting getting some um some cool little English lessons here on the podcast as well. Like, like exorcist. Yeah. Yes. Ex- yeah. Ex- exorcise it and not exercise. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Exactly. With the O and not the E. Yeah. So a chance to. Uh, yeah, purge the eels of some of those uh, past tribulations, which we've done so far in 2021. So I'm looking forward to Sunday. Um, anything you boys and, want to and talk distincts about? from something like excise, which is an excise tax. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything you boys want to talk about in this contest before we get to our predictions? Right, just exercise, excise, exorcise. <laughs> there we go. Um, Bertie, Bertie is absent, so let's start with him. Um, he's had, I believe, he's had some Foxtel installation issues, which is why he hasn't been able to join the podcast. But he did get, get his care, tips in. Bro. Yeah, exactly. Just cut the cables. Uh, so Bertie says, first try score, he's going for the returning center, Wonga Blake, and he's tipping a solid but uh, not outstanding Eels win, 28-10 to 10 over the Warriors. So I don't know how you guys want to deviate or variate from that one, but Ham, I'm going to throw it to you. Oh, first up this week. Yeah, okay. going to mix things up. Usually I get a little bit of time to think about it. No, 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 it's going to go Ham, you, so Ham, me, and then Ham. We're going to finish off with the boss, getting to the go-home uh, takeaway. Okay, um... First try scorer will be a forward. It'll be it'll be Reed Marnie, a small forward. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Reed back. Um, I'm actually thinking that we'll follow our trend of bottom eight. I understand the Warriors are top eight, but bottom bottom half of the competition, mm-hmm. outside of the top five, where we won't play high intensity for this for most of this game. I think it'll be a very close close game. I think we'll score 24 points. Um, and I believe we will concede 16. Eight-point victory, eh? Yep. All righty. Well, I'm, I'm going with the, the Hollywood first try scorer. I've got to go with Jake Arthur, as unlikely as it may be. 
get the rookie on the board first and the media absolutely blow its load after that. Um, and if Jake oh, does... I'll give it something. They'll just be like, oh, you shouldn't have been allowed to play because <laughs> you played New South Wales Cup last week. If uh, if Jake doesn't score first try scorer, I've got him down for any time try scorer as well. Uh, and in terms of margin, I'm going to pick a big one here. I'll go with the Eels, 42 to the Warriors, 12. Uh, yeah, like I said, my only real concern... I respect the worries, but my real concern for this game is that field. I am a little bit worried about how chopped up it's going to be coming into Sunday afternoon. I think that leaves that with me, and um, I'll go Wonga Blake to get a try in his first uh, game back, uh, first try scorer, and Eels eventually 24-16. Look at all you blokes picking the, the narrow margins of victory there. Okay, okay. It's the way to go. It's the way, I think... Just, I think we won't have that high intensity like I we have against. I don't know. The, the fact that we put twenty-two differential on the dogs makes you feel like we were starting to get over that hump. But then again, we have played some close games against other uh, lower-seeded teams this year. The first game against the Broncos comes to mind, I suppose. And the yeah. Warriors can put it on. Yeah, that's the thing is the Warriors are not chump change. They are a good team that probably struggles for a little bit of finishing, like you know, somewhat like I'd say maybe the the twenty sixteen Eels. Like they've got the pieces there to be a, a decent team, but just when it comes to closing out some of these games, haven't quite got the experience. But um, and once again, full credit to Warriors having to play the first half of their season at the very least occupied in Australia. They've given up a pretty significant uh, advantage by having no home games, and yet they're persevering and soldiering on. So well done to you boys. Uh, it does mean a lot the fact that you're you know doing that for the competition, and hopefully the NRL gives you due respect when it comes back to it. But who knows? Hey, given boy. it's the NRL, yeah. Given <laughs> it's the NRL, so yeah. Um, anything you Although want to- if, if Gouldie gets in Philandy's ear again, you never know. Because he's tied up with the Warriors, isn't he? That's right. He is like the GM of football or, or at least a consultant. Yeah. Working alongside Nathan Brown, the, the coach, not the player. Uh, but yeah, so everyone's looking for a Parramatta's victory here as expected. The margin of victory has varied a little bit. Uh, some people have got, you know, big cojones like myself and tipping us old win. And some people got the, you know, some people have the brains. Yeah, I suppose. Brains is probably a better way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, another fun addition to the Power Podcast, boys. Any uh, shout-outs or call-outs you want to give before we wrap it up? Um, Daddy Rogers, stay, please. Yeah, well, that that was a, a crazy narrative that came out in draft day or thereabouts, wasn't it? The Aaron Rodgers deeply unhappy with the GM of the Packers, I believe, and wanting to move on. But since then, the Packers seem to be willing to move heaven and earth to keep him, as they should. Rogers, one of the all-time greats at quarterback uh, and reigning MVP in the NFL. So I, I think the issue with it is, is that you know we're not going to trade him. Um, so it's at that point where you know, do you want to go and Brett Favre yourself and and play for the Vikings? Like you know, you just got to understand and 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 you know, he's somebody that's that, that's put this persona out there that he would never go down and he was poorly mistreated by Brett Favre but like you know you've got to are you doing the same thing in respect of Mr. Love Um, yeah there there are some uh, nuances to it obviously but I will say this as a a fan of one team that went through their own quarterback crisis this offseason I think you'll get through it Uh, yeah it'll sort itself out (laughs) like the the media had an absolute blast of Russell Wilson departing the Seahawks and while there was certainly some uh, gas to that, I feel like uh, it was definitely taken for a ride by the media because it's such a huge headline that writes itself. And same thing of Rogers, you know, like I said, one of the the great QBs that has legitimate gripes with the organization. But like you said, probably he's um, going to figure out a way to smooth it all out and then get the the Packers back to the postseason next year or this year. So, Ham, you got anything you want to throw out at us, mate? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry, that's okay. We'll let it go. 
And unfortunately, I'll give you something next week. Stay tuned for it. It's a reason to listen next week. There we go. So he's got not the, just the playful banter and the, Ham's um, got the hook for next knowledge. week. He's got the old. Uh, he knows his marketing right there, giving us the, it's, it's the bringing him, bringing him back in. Something that I'll probably forget as the, soon as I The characteristic approach. But yeah, uh, that'll put the wraps on another really fun episode of the Parrot Podcast. It was awesome to have Hamish back um, and have his insights. And he, oh, thanks, guys. That's really, lo- really well, lovely. <laughs> it really was. I hit 40 said it. I didn't. And unfortunately, we couldn't have the full crew back. I think Birdie would have been an absolute hoot today. He was uh, tearing it up in the uh, pre-podcast talk he had a, a great line about the uh, first father and son combination eels since uh, Quentin Gufferson and Reed Marnie so he was uh, killing it without the microphone unfortunately couldn't get to us but we'll have him back next week hopefully and on that note we should see you guys next week catch us later go the eels Bye.